The New Theology. This is number two in this series, and it is entitled The Omega. Many find it difficult to believe that the very top leadership within God's remnant church is teaching false doctrines such as referred to in the first tape of this series, The New Theology, number one, in which our general conference president states, and I'm quoting, our assurance of salvation is based on God's grace by faith. And then note these amazing words, not on our behavior or character development, unquote. This is a quotation from his book, Called in Christ, page 22. But this is the message of the new theology, of which he consistently writes and preaches. Some 55 years ago, when I was ordained to the ministry, I was reminded that I was to be a watchman on the walls of Zion which I have consistently tried to do over the years. There are always some who, when error is mentioned, will say, this is criticism. But I wish to make it clear that I am still being a watchman on the walls of Zion, pointing out error to alert our people that some of the books and articles written today will lead you to apostasy within God's true church. Keeping this in mind, you will see why I am so alarmed as you read his outrageous falsification of the gospel, which he expressed in his closing prayer at Hope. British Columbia camp meeting in 1991, and I am quoting, Lord, thank you for the assurance. Thank you for the promise that if I claim your name and look up to the cross of Jesus, my name is written in the book of life. And now listen very carefully to these following words. I'm quoting, it has nothing to do with how good I am or how I live or anything else, unquote. This apostate new theology embraces a Christ who is to keep us from the penalty of the sin and at the same time allow us to continue to live in sin with the assurance of eternal life. Such teachings are contrary to the scriptures and the spirit of prophecy. Our president is in need of our prayers that he may awaken from the Omega apostasy in which he is leading the flock of God. So let us pause right here to pray for our president. Dear Father, which art in heaven, 
these hearts of ours cry out for the divine power of the Holy Spirit to awaken our top leadership. O oh God, give our brother no rest day nor night until he accepts the plain words of inspiration and calls for a return to the true gospel. Have pity, dear God, upon the pastors and their flocks who have been taught to blindly accept without searching for themselves the simple truth as it is found in Jesus. Please give us watchmen today who will not be afraid to call sin by its right name. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Turning to the Holy Scripture, we find the basis for this study in Jude 1, 3, and 4. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into licentiousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So, as we contend for the faith, as delivered to the saints by the Holy Spirit, let us consider this counsel found in Testimonies number 5, page 540. Quote, Few appreciate the importance of striving constantly to overcome. They relax their diligence and, as a result, become selfish and self-indulgent. Spiritual vigilance is not thought to be essential. Earnestness in human effort is not brought into the Christian life. There will be some terrible falls by those who think they stand firm because they have the truth, but they have it not, as it is in Jesus. A moment's carelessness may plunge a soul into irretrievable ruin. One sin leads to the second, and the second prepares the way for the third, and so on. We must as faithful messengers of God, plead with him constantly to be kept by his power. If we swerve a single inch from duty, we are in danger of following on in a course of sin that will end in perdition. There is hope for every one of us, but only in one way and that is by binding ourselves to Christ and exerting every energy to attain to the perfection of his character.
that religion which makes of sin a light matter, dwelling upon the love of God to the sinner regardless of his actions, only encourages the sinner to believe that God will receive him while he continues in that which he knows to be sin. This is what some are doing who profess to believe present truth. The truth is kept apart from the life, and that is the reason it has no power to convict and convert the soul." Unquote. There is no question in my mind that we are entering the omega of apostasy. In Selected Messages 1, page 197, I read, God's messenger tells us that the omega developments will be of a most startling nature. I'm quoting, Be not deceived. Many will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. We have now before us the alpha of this danger. The omega will be of a most startling nature, unquote. This will also be an incurable rebellion against the gospel of God, because in the Omega apostasy, the spirit of prophecy is made to be of non-effect. In Selected Messages 1, page 48, quote, Satan is constantly pressing in the spurious to lead away from the truth. The very last deception of Satan will be to make of non-effect the testimony of the Spirit of God. Where there is no vision, the people of God perish, Proverbs 29, 18. Satan will work ingeniously in different ways and through different agencies to unsettle the confidence of God's remnant people in the true testimony." Unquote. Continuing, I read in Selected Messages 1, page 197, there will be a hatred kindled against the testimonies which is satanic. The workings of Satan will be to unsettle the faith of the churches in them. For this reason, Satan cannot have so clear a track to bring in his deceptions and bind up souls in his delusions if the warnings and reproofs and counsels of the Spirit of God are heeded." Unquote. So let us remember, this so-called new theology is really nothing more than the old theology of Satan. For the devil always tries to make void the law of God. In the days of the apostles, there was a group called the Nicolaitans who were teaching that the law of God could not be kept. Therefore, one could be saved in sin. Ellen White has much to say about this. Listen, I'm quoting. The doctrine is now largely taught that the gospel of Christ has made the law of God of no effect. 
that by believing we are released from the necessity of being doers of the word. But this is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which Christ so unsparingly condemned. To the church of Ephesus he says, But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Those who are teaching this doctrine today have much to say in regard to faith and the righteousness of Christ, but they pervert the truth and make it serve the cause of error. They declare that we have only to believe on Jesus Christ and the faith is all sufficient, that the righteousness of Christ is to be the sinner's credentials that this imputed righteousness fulfills the law for us and that we are under no obligation to obey the law of God. This class claims that Christ came to save sinners and that he has saved them. I am saved, they repeat over and over again. But are they saved while transgressing the law of Jehovah? No. For the garments of Christ's righteousness are not a cloak for iniquity. That was taken from Signs of the Times, volume 3, page 363. The Holy Word makes void the law of God through faith. We read in Romans 3.31, God forbid, yea, we establish the law. And in Romans 6, 12, 14, and 18, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Being then made free from sin, ye become the servants of righteousness. Now let me add a most alarming statement which reveals that we are to expect Satan's doctrines to be preached from Adventist pulpits. I'm reading Testimonies to Ministers, page 409 and 410. Many will stand in our pulpits with the torch of false prophecy in their hands kindled from the hellish torch of Satan, unquote. This new theology, which I believe is called the Omega, is taking a dreadful toll in many of our churches. Have you looked at the Sabbath school lately? In most churches, only about half of the members are present. When you examine the church membership list, it is alarming that thousands upon thousands of those whose names are still listed as members never attend anymore. Consider the divorce rate among Seventh-day Adventists, and you will find it to be nearly 50%, just like that of Babylon. A pastor today finds it almost impossible to handle the situation since so many church officers will not cooperate with him, 
since they too are guilty. Most alarming is the fact that over 70% of our youth are leaving the church. And why not? Our colleges and universities have been questioning many of our doctrines, such as the creation week. God's standards are being pushed aside until it is difficult to discern by dress and jewelry the difference between the remnant church and Babylon. These results of the new theology are apparent to anyone who has their eyes open. And I am not alone in this. As I prepare this tape, I just received an unsolicited letter from one of our many faithful pastors who sent me the following letter of courage. I have no I have never met this pastor, but I praise God that he too is awake to the results of the new theology. Listen to his letter. Dear Brother Nelson, from time to time I have had someone give me one of your tapes or have read one of your articles in one of the independent magazines. I want to encourage you to keep up the good work of warning our people of what is coming and what is happening to our beloved church. I, too, have been a minister for many years and am appalled at what is transpiring today, and it seems it is nearly impossible to stop the tide. If one speaks out, He is labeled as a troublemaker and finds himself ostracized. The liberals have well nigh taken over our denomination. Standards have fallen by the wayside and Sabbath keeping is almost non-existent. I understand that you produce a newsletter or tapes. Please include me and let me know what the charges are. Thanks. Your brother in the true faith, Pastor Blank. So, there you have it. And that's not the only letter that I have received from some of our pastors. This letter from an active pastor reveals that he knows what is taking place. Could this be the reason for the delay of Christ's return? In Evangelism, page 696, quote, It was not the will of God that the coming of Christ should be thus delayed. God did not design that his people, Israel, should wander 40 days in the, 40 years in the wilderness. He promised to lead them directly to the land of Cana and establish them there a holy, healthy, happy people. But those to whom it was first preached went not in because of unbelief. Their hearts were filled with murmuring, rebellion, and hatred, and he could not fulfill his covenant with them. For forty years did unbelief, murmuring, and rebellion shut out ancient Israel from the land of Cana. The same sins 
have delayed the entrance of modern Israel into the heavenly Cana. In neither case were the promises of God at fault. It is the unbelief, the worldliness, unconsecration, and strife among the Lord's professed people that have kept us in this world of sin and sorrow so many years. We may have to remain here in this world because of insubordination many more years, as did the children of Israel. But for Christ's sake, his people should not add sin to sin by charging God with the consequences of their own wrong course of action. Unquote. There is no question in my mind that this Omega apostasy began in the mid-50s when some of our leaders reached across the gulf to clasp the hands with the evangelicals. This was followed by a compromise on the nature of Christ and the atonement as agreed upon with Donald Gray, Barnhouse, and Walter Martin. Here we discover that the pillars of our faith were torn down which have been held sacred since our beginning and were the very heart of the precious message given by Ellen White. What a tragedy. The results being that we no longer fearlessly preach the three angels' messages as we should with the power of the Holy Spirit that could have finished the work long ago. Back in 1977, Elder Robert Pearson, the General Conference President, explored the ramifications of Omega in his ten points, which he took from Selected Messages 1, page 193. Listen as to what he found would be coming into our church. One, the principles of truth that God in his wisdom had given to the remnant church would be discarded. Two, it will make of non-effect the truth of heavenly origin. Three, our religion would be changed. Four, the Sabbath, of course, would be lightly regarded as also the God who created it. Five, there would be a supposition that a great reformation was to take place among Seventh-day Adventists and that this reformation would consist in giving up the doctrines which stand as the pillars of our faith. Six, a system of intellectual philosophy would be introduced Seven. It would seek to weaken the preaching of the second advent by teaching that scenes just before us are not of sufficient importance to be given special attention. Eight. Books of a new order would be written. Nine. 
a new organization would be established. Ten, nothing would be allowed to stand in the way of this new movement. Ellen White gives us the response to this situation, which I found in Testimonies 5, page 80. Quote, God has promised that where the shepherds are not true, he will take charge of the flock himself. Don't you like that? Praise God. I continue. Every wind of doctrine will be blowing. Those who have rendered supreme homage to the science falsely so-called will not be leaders then. Those who have proven themselves unfaithful will not then be entrusted with the flock. They are self-sufficient, independent of God, and he cannot use them. The Lord has faithful servants who in the shaking, testing time, will be disclosed to view. Oh, praise the Lord. We should take courage. Everything is not in vain. God's truth is going to triumph. Elder Ron Spear, in his appeal to the General Commerce President, page 34, has correctly shown the parallel between the day of Christ and the time just before his return. He, refer he refers to this parallel as Hellenism and humanism. I'm quoting. Hellenism and humanism had captured the church in Christ's day. Hellenism was operative in all the church's activities. It infiltrated the Jewish educational system and was taught by Jewish schools. The Sadducees became the Hellenistic party within the church, and to a great degree, the Hellenistic philosophy was responsible for the crucifixion of Christ, the second power of the Godhead. The humanistic worldly system of education has crept into the educational system of the Adventist church and today it must be held guilty for what has happened in the Omega apostasy. Humanism and Hellenism are the same philosophy. This philosophy leads to a bootstrap religion you can do anything your mind decides to do, which minimizes the power of God in the life to keep us from sinning and asserts that we cannot keep God's law. In the great test to come, it will be humanism to a great degree that will be responsible for the rejection of the third power of the Godhead the Holy Spirit when the door is shut for unprepared Seventh-day Adventists. I like the way the following quotation summarizes this situation. Quote, While others try to throw a cloak over the existing evil and excuse the great wickedness 
everywhere prevalent. Those who have a zeal for God's honor and a love for souls will not hold their peace to obtain favor of any. Here we see that the church, the Lord's sanctuary, was the first to feel the stroke of the wrath of God. The ancient men, those to whom God had given great light and who had held, had stood as guardians of the spiritual interests of the people, had betrayed their trust. They had taken the position that we did not look for miracles and the marked manifestation of God's power as in former days. Times have changed. These words strengthen their belief, and they say, The Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. He is too merciful to visit his people in judgment. Thus, peace and safety is the cry from men who will never again lift up their voice like a trumpet both their transgressions and the house of Jacob their sins. These dumb dogs that would not bark are the ones who feel the vengeance of an offending God. Men, maiden, and little children all perish together. Volume 5, page 210 and 11. According to Ezekiel 9, the only ones on whom the sealing angel can place the mark of God's approval are those who sigh and cry for the corruption in the church. They are also the ones who personally strive for perfection of character. So praise the Lord. Perfection of character is not only possible but attainable. God has never asked for the impossible. Perfection is overcoming through the mighty power of Christ. Be ye therefore perfect. We are told in Matthew 5:48, even as your Father which in heaven is perfect. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter 1:16. Therefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fail. 2 Peter 1.10 Praise God for the promise. As we find, which I am reading, quote, To him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am sat down with my Father in his throne. We can overcome, yes, fully, entirely. Jesus died to make a way of escape for us, that we might overcome every evil temper, every sin, every temptation and sit down at last with him. What a promise. Testimonies to Church, Volume 1, page 144. 
In Christ Object Lessons, page 312, I continue. He has made it possible for every human being to obey God's commandments. When we submit ourselves to Christ, the heart is united with his heart. The will is merged in his will. The mind becomes one with his mind. The thoughts are brought into captivity to him. We live his life. This is what it means to be clothed with the garments of his righteousness, unquote. As we conclude this study, I must read to you a paper prepared by Dr. Ralph Larson, which he entitled, A Misuse of Authority. I'm quoting. It has become fashion among many Seventh-day Adventist administrators to excuse themselves from theological discussions by saying, I am not a theologian. I am an administrator. This cannot be said of the current General Conference President, Elder Robert Falkenberg. He habitually publishes in church journals and books expressions of his theological opinions. In so doing, he steps outside the circle of immunity commonly associated with respect for high office and ventures into the area of open discussion. We cannot expect that theologians in that area will either accept his conclusions out of respect for his high office or refrain from publicly differing with him. Some will feel constrained to say, as I am saying, regretfully, and with all due respect, I disagree very, very strongly. Our president has made it abundantly clear that he is enamored with the particular theology views of Jack Sequera, currently pastor of the Capitol Memorial Church in Washington, D.C. area. I have carefully examined this man's theology and have reached the calm and considered opinion that it is nothing more nor less than insanity in print. It is a ludicrous and irrational combination of Catholicism, Calvinism, Universalism, and metaphysics. Sikara sets up a theological system which among numerous other falsities includes the following points expounded in his book Beyond Belief and Elsewhere. It must be remembered that self-contradiction is one of the major characteristics of his writings. What is affirmed on one page is often denied on another, or even on the same page, as in the following example, quote, I believe that God actually and unconditionally saved all humanity at the cross 
so that we are justified and reconciled to God by that act. That's taken from Beyond Belief, page 8. This thought is repeated many times in Beyond Belief. If you'll see pages 30, 34, 36, 91, and 170. But there is an actual, but there is actually a condition to this unconditional salvation set forth in the sentence immediately following the one quoted above. Quote, I believe that the only reason anyone will be lost is because he or she willfully and persistently rejects God's gift of salvation. You find that on page 8 of Beyond Belief. The following statement, taken from a printed compilation of sermons, available from Pastor Sequera, makes a similar nonsensical observation. Quote, The gospel is unconditional good news. For that unconditional good news to become effective, in our case, there are two requirements. That's taken from his paper on the sanctuary, page 121. The second of the above two sentences directly cancels out the first. How can salvation be unconditional if certain requirements must be met in order to make it effective? One is reminded of the sweepstakes, notices, so many of us receive in the mail, informing us that you have already won such and such a prize. When was the last time any of us collected on these winnings? Following the logic of Sequera's theology, all the millions of evil persons who lived and died before the cross with no knowledge of God's gift will be saved because they would not willfully and persistently reject something they knew nothing about. The same would apply to all the unenlightened heathen who died this side of the cross and to all children who die in infancy, since it would be impossible for them to willfully reject God's gift. Salvation is therefore a condition into which all are born, from which we can escape only by a deliberate effort, a willful rejection. Hence, the oft-repeated claim of Sequera's followers that it is easy to be saved and hard to be lost. Why then should any missionary work be done if being lost requires a willful rejection of something one has not ever heard of and thus cannot willfully reject? Then their ignorance is their salvation. It would be best to leave them alone. If all humanity, including ourselves, were unconditionally saved at the cross. That means that we all received unconditional pardon 
centuries before we were born and no conviction of sin no repentance no confession no surrender of the will to God no exercise of faith and no commitment to what God says but God's inspired messenger declares quote the unconditional pardon of sin never has been and never will be that's from Patriarchs and Prophets page 522 and in further detail she writes quote there is no salvation without repentance selected messages 1 page 365 there must be repentance before there is pardon that I may know him page 109 God sends message after message to men entreating them to repentance so that he may forgive and write pardon against their names, unquote. Selected messages, 1, page 323. Again, there can be no true repentance without conviction of sin. Spirit of Prophecy, volume 4, page 297. Again, Christ pardons none but the penitent. Selected Messages 1, page 393, 394. And finally, God requires the entire surrender of the heart before justification can take place. Selected Messages 1, page 366. Pages could be filled with this kind of information from God's messenger but this paper must be short we therefore move on to another of Sequera's false doctrines as we examine it let us remember quote that repentance includes sorrow for sin and a turning away from it that's found in steps to Christ page 23 now in contrast Sequera teaches justification means all of Christ's righteousness that he provided for us so that nothing more is required of us to qualify for heaven the unbelief page 103 and this thought is repeated elsewhere in the same book page 32 33 36 and 170 but according to Ellen White justification means pardon quote pardon and justification are one and the same thing unquote the Bible commentary volume 6 page 1070 so according to Sequera all we need is pardon no change of life is necessary Observe now, for I am reading from Beyond Belief, page 104. The devil has deceived many Christians into believing that justification by faith does not fully qualify them for heaven, that something more is necessary, that they must keep the law and do good works. 
on the same from the same book page 91 the idea that I have to be good or I'm not good enough to qualify for heaven is one of the great stumbling blocks hindering God's people today from experiencing genuine faith unquote beloved this is the Calvinistic doctrine of justification it can be found in any Calvinistic textbook on systematic theology where we read that sanctification is nice but not necessary for salvation some Calvinists say justification happens only once in the Christian's life a theory commonly known as once saved always saved others believe that once justification takes place it covers the believers past present and future sins so long as he continues to believe either way there is no need to stop sinning Sequera agrees with the second group listen justification is the work of a moment although it remains effective all are believing lives that's taken from beyond belief page 103 it is not correct to accuse Sequera of teaching one saved always saved as some have done since he does not deny that believers can resist the grace of God and thus lose salvation the grave danger with this theology is that while ceasing to believe will cost us salvation occasional disobedience will not the following statements by Sequera make this clear quote the New Testament is absolutely clear man is not lost because he's a sinner man is lost because he has rejected Jesus Christ that's from his paper on the sanctuary page 104 again stumbling under grace falling into sin does not deprive us of justification neither does it bring condemnation Unquote. as taken from beyond belief page 166 such theology is directly at odds with the following inspired statement when men transgress he is under the condemnation of the law and it becomes to him a yoke of bondage whatever his profession may be he is not justified unquote from my life today page 250 Sequera's teachings which sets Christ forth as a savior from sins penalty only while allowing sin to continue in the life are thus an outrageous falsification of the gospel but sadly Sequera's doctrine is embraced by our general conference president and expressed 
in the words like these, quote, Lord, thank you for the assurance. Thank you for the promise that if I claim your name and look up to the cross of Jesus, my name is written in the book of life. It has nothing to do with how good I am or anything else. That's from a prayer at camp meeting at Hope, British Columbia in 1991. This thought has often been expressed in his other writings. So according to this statement, salvation has nothing to do with how one lives, and how one lives has nothing to do with salvation. If this is true, the whole Bible is false. The spirit of prophecy is false. The Seventh-day Adventist Church has no right to exist. See Matthew 19, 17, Luke 10, 25 to 28. Romans 2.13, Hebrews 5.9, Revelation 22.14. Calling on people to keep God's commandments and live righteous lives would make no sense at all. But what has God's messenger told us? The opposite and no less dangerous error is that Belief in Christ releases men from keeping the law of God. That since by faith alone we become partakers of the grace of Christ, our works have nothing to do with our redemption. That's found in Steps to Christ, page 60. In Bible Echo, January 15, 1889, are these words, quote, It is a pleasing fable that is presented to us in this age, that if we only believe in Christ, that is all that is required, that works have nothing to do with our acceptance with God, unquote. Again, I read in Signs of the Times, August 22, 1878, some ministers are dangerously misleading the people they would have them accept the fatal sophistries of Satan, that simple belief in Christ is sufficient for salvation, that good works have nothing to do with it, unquote. If we were all unconditionally saved at Calvary and so fully justified that we have no need of fully eradicating sin from our lives, then the entire doctrine of the sanctuary and the investigative judgment belongs on the trash heap. This was the heresy of Desmond Ford, which caused him to be removed from the ministry. Jack Sequera's salvation theology has led him into similar, if not identical, Denials of our sanctuary message. See Kevin Paulson, Those Who Do Not Remember the Past, pages 15 to 77, Eatonville, Washington, Hope International, 1995. And the president of the General Conference, by stating that salvation has nothing to do with how he lives, is clearly whether he realizes it or not. 
aligning himself with Ford and Sequera against our doctrine of the sanctuary and the investigative judgment. This brings us to the greatest crisis in the history of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The office of the General Conference President is being prostituted in the promotion of a false theology, a theology that will certainly bring damnation upon thousands of God's remnant people. It is impossible to overstate the enormity of this crisis. The power and influence of the President's office enables him to keep a stream of articles appearing in our church papers, together with books issued from our publishing houses, promoting this deadly theology. This paper trail from the President's pen reaches a shameful climax in an Adventist Review article of April 1997 entitled, Will the Real Evangelical Adventist Please Stand Up? In this article, the President of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists attacked the Adventist people, alleging that thousands, maybe even millions, of our church members are trapped in a deadly legalistic religion because they have not accepted, as he has, the irrational theology of Jack Sequera. Our enemies are presently making capital of this accusation. This is a prostitution of the office of the presidency, an office that should be promoting the purity of our message is being used instead to pervert it. If the members of the General Conference Committee permit this to continue, they will be derelict in their duty and will surely be held accountable by God of heaven for their failure to act. I earnestly appeal to every member of that committee to take whatever steps are necessary to terminate this evil. The presidency of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists must not be used to promote a false theology, nor should church papers be employed to attack those refusing to accept these falsehoods in place of our pure faith. Our working policies clearly state that changes in our theology must be voted by the General Conference in session. I thereby challenge those who are trying to change our theology to abide by these principles, and I hereby call upon all of our administrators to require this of them. Any who seek further documentation of the unscriptural teachings of Jack Sequera may request such from the undersigned, Ralph. Larson. To this appeal, I give a hearty amen and add that I am in total agreement. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus, since I found in him a I would tell you how he changed 
He did something that no 